Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Hey, I'm Matt Sky. You're listening to Web3 Unpacked. Uh, this is my co-host, Rich Pasqua. And today we have Sandra H. from uh, Metopolis. You're the uh, chief commercial officer and co-founder of a Metis, Metaverse as a Service platform. Uh, super exciting. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks guys for having me. Pretty excited to be here. I think when, when I say Metaverse as a Service, uh, I, I think a lot of people, that's a new term. They maybe haven't heard that before. Uh, so I think just a great place to start. Uh, maybe walk us through Metopolis, what you do, how you ended up at this company and how you founded it, co-founded it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Good question to start off with. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> I think if we look at the metaverse space or even just Web3 in general, right? A lot of people right now are, um, if you were at the bridge of when traditional was going digital, this transition or the shift happening now kind of seems very familiar. So when I entered the space after I graduated university, um, a lot of companies were going from traditional to digital. So a big part of my time was trying to convince people or brands and companies that, hey, you do need a Facebook, you should be on Instagram, you know, um, it's okay for you to interact with your consumers in this way and that way and trying to find new ways to engage with the end user. The same thing is happening right now in, in Web3, you know, but the difference is, is that now we have all this technology that's coming together with, you know, blockchain, with NFTs, with the metaverse. Um, today, I actually spoke about spatial web on, on my LinkedIn, and I was actually very surprised at how many people were like, oh, we haven't heard this term before. And in my mind, I'm thinking, but spatial web is what's connecting everything that we're talking about right now. Uh, so I guess to best answer your question, Metaverse as a Service is pretty much from our perspective, the best way for mass onboarding into, into, into the Metaverse. And the reason for that is, a lot of people now want to belong and a lot of Web2 brands, um, clients, or even Web3 projects want to have a metaverse presence, but not everyone has the bandwidth or the teams or the knowledge or the know-how on how to enter the space and how to actually build new digital economies, how to add value, how to add utility, and how to engage the end user. Uh, think of it more as like uh, Shopify for e-commerce, right? I mean, Shop Shopify really changed how people operated their stores because they knew how to well, build sites and how to launch them pretty quickly. And this is what we do, because the bigger picture here isn't just onboarding people into Web3, it's, or the metaverse, sorry. It's more, if everyone is off building their own metaverse on their own blockchain or using different standards of avatars and, you know, different standards for NFTs, how are we all going to communicate with each other? You know, that means that right. the engagement is going to be cut off. There, there isn't going to be a growing engagement there should be one metaverse that connects everyone with uh, one standard across all. When I say one metaverse, I don't mean that, you know, we're going to cancel everyone out. That's not the vision at all. If anything, we want more people to enter the space. But what I mean is that standardized layer where everyone can build on top of and then become, I always have a hard time saying this word, interoperable, <laughs> IO with each other. So I'm just right. going to say the I. The interoperability. Yeah. That, that's the one, you know, for a word that brings so much good, it's like the hardest word to say. You know, so for us to be <laughs> with each other, um, it's, it's, it's more about just getting that base layer ready for people to be able to just engage and have it as an always on, right? Because 
the next iteration of the internet is going to be the metaverse. It's going to bring uh, bring everyone together on how they can engage, how they can utilize their NFTs, how they can you know be incentivized, how they can be rewarded. Imagine if the internet right now was a split journey. You know, if I had to jump on this podcast, I had to change my browser. Uh, I don't know, download a right. wallet. You bring a new microphone. I don't know, change a shirt or something. So chances are I wouldn't do it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to stay in what's seamlessly connected. And the, the metaverse should be exactly the same. Probably a long That's answer. That's a fantastic point on the protocols. No, uh, that, but that, that really summarizes it. And Rich, we, we talk about this all the time, the idea that the metaverse is so many different worlds. It's not just one. Yeah, absolutely. And we use the term connective tissue, right? And I think that's the whole idea of interoperability and, you know, connecting different worlds. And we're, and we're fascinated because that to me, you know, lots of people will build their own universes or planets, if you will. Um, and we want to know how people are going to interact with different worlds, cross or bridge over to different worlds, what the economies look like, what kind of gear can you take with you and your avatars, you know, in your bag or your cash, if you will, uh, from a gaming term, um, you know, we want to know like how that's going to work and that's being developed. Like no one really truly has the answer just yet. Everyone's creating their own worlds, but really that connective tissue is really what we talk about tremendously. And, you know, Sandra, perhaps you can t tell us like, like what chains you're using and then the, the whole cross chain uh, experience. Yeah. So ju sorry, just going back to what you were saying, I think from my perspective, there are a lot of projects that are leading with their niche and how they want to um, innovate the, the web three and the metaverse space. Uh, if we look at like the metaverse standards forum, right? It was a, an entire group of very large companies that came together to innovate and to try and set the standard for what the metaverse should be. Uh, but the thing is, is that we're actually a part of the metaverse standard forum as, as Metapolis. But the, the thing is, is that when you have large companies who in web two, you know, big conglomerates that have small sub entities in web two, they were very good at acquiring companies that were very good at their niche and what they were doing, bringing them into the metaverse layer and having them be the ones trying to lead with the charge of what the standard should be. It's kind of in a sense, looking at deterring or not really making use of the independent people such as metapolis or other projects that are pushing forward with their vision in the metaverse space so when it comes to the standard layer it's not going to be the big players that are going to be the ones setting it i believe that they are going to get some pushback from people like us who i mean i personally consider us as big players within the space from our know-how and the technology that we're putting out there but you know, there will be competition in how people are going to be interacting with each other. So uh, to answer your question, you know, we are a Zilliqa venture back co um, company, meaning that uh, Zilliqa is one of the first blockchains that we integrate with. But as you know, as a metaverse, you don't really need the blockchain. The blockchain comes in at a transactional level when you have to deal with tokens, with NFTs and with ownership and assets. Um, this is something just for everyone to note with the metaverse is that the metaverse can operate without blockchain but blockchain is the added value to it. Uh, so for us being IO, we are obviously uh, powered by Zilliqa. And then we also have other chains that are in the, in the making such as, um, well, we have a PR coming out about that. So I probably shouldn't name drop right now, but um, there are a couple of others that we'll be launching, but the broader image is that, you know, as a metaverse layer, we have the ability to integrate with a lot of chains. Uh, and that's the beauty of it because at the end of the day, that's what makes it easy to navigate. Great. 
when when uh, we're talking about that interoperability and uh, you know sort of what's in the pipeline, uh, how can we start seeing people onboard into Metopolis and create their own worlds? What's that process looking like? I assume there's kind of a obviously the VR component and the AR component. Um, just what does that onboarding process look like for people? Yeah, so we actually provide from Metapolis because because we are a, a metaverse as a service platform, we build these metaverses for our clients. So generally what it means is that it's up to our partners and our clients to open their metaverses for people to enter. Um, again, I'm going to go back to the Shopify example. You know, you can set up your website, but unless you, unless you, you know, click the... Um, put it online right now, no one's going to enter it. So it's the same with us, you know, clients need to launch their own metaverse for people to be able to enter and we help them throughout the journey. Uh, but in saying that, what we've realized is that because we have the ability to, you know, very quickly onboard people into the metaverse, we have started to launch uh, microverses. So a microverse is a mini gamified world or a themed world where, uh, you know, we put out like a, a certain series. So the first one we're launching is called M Genesis because it's the beginning. And, you know, if it's the beginning, then obviously you go with Genesis. Uh, to be very, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, we called it M Genesis and uh, this is going to be launched uh, towards the end of uh, October, start of November. And what it is, is that we've only opened it up 5,000 combined land and dome parcels. We've made it very easy for people to onboard. Uh, they will get access to what we are calling the world builder, which is the, I guess you could say a world's first, you know, easy drag and drop customizer and personalization of how you want your metaverse to look like. And we're opening the whitelist to only 5,000 people. So it's going to be a whitelist and then obviously pre-sale, but this would be probably the best way that people can start to engage with having a metaverse presence. Uh, the pricing is very reasonable for anyone wanting to actually own uh, a part of the metaverse through a dome that they can keep and utilize and a piece of land with it. But the, the best part on this is that it actually lays into a lot of incentivization models that we build around it as well. So a big part of what we do is people need to be incentivized. And this is why for us, the identity, the avatar is very important because through wearable technology, you have the ability to be functioning in your physical world, completing tasks, but at the same time earning rewards uh, in the metaverse through your avatar and vice versa. So it's, uh, I would say the quickest way right now would be uh, Genesis. Uh, keep an eye out for it or when the partners launch also engage with them if you're a brand wanting to enter the metaverse then obviously you know reaching out to us would be the best and quickest way to get involved how do you um you know we see the implications or the applications i should say for say work environments social environments do you see um, this opening up to more like um, entertainment? And how do you think brands might be able to use this in the future? The metaverse, as in the... Yeah, well, it, your platform in general. Yeah, well, actually our platform is, is, uh, is open for anyone. So actually we've had a lot of interest. Uh, some of our biggest partners are in esports. So esports, uh, as you know, has probably one of the largest drivers for mass adoption within blockchain because you know they're already accustomed to the way that we operate with ownership digital assets and all of that so we have a lot of partners across esports we have a lot of interest and partnerships as well across government entities uh luxury fashion um so retail uh health and wellness is very big it's massive entertainment you have banking and finance 
we are getting a lot of interest from a lot of people, but the biggest bottleneck that we are finding, and this is where our expertise comes in, is that people want to enter, they don't know how to enter and apply to their business model. Uh, and yeah. this is something that everyone is probably noticing is that entering is the easy part, but building it for an always on layer of engagement that actually adds value to your model, your business model is the difficult part. And this is where we come in with our expertise and our consultancy arm, um, where, you know, we, we consult our clients and we work with them on how can they actually add value to their business model? Because, you know, people were looking at omni-channel approaches back in the day, right? You know, how can we connect Facebook and Instagram to what we're doing, QR codes and all of these things. Now think of it more as a meta channel, you know, you have all of these assets that are connected Add a new layer, which is the metaverse NFTs, you know, if you want to launch a token tokenization and all that, and then how can we build and grow that? So a lot of interest bottleneck is people wanting to belong, not knowing how to. So yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing the very same thing with some of our clients that we either build for or design for, or just consult. They just don't know. They, they know about building products, right? Whether it be 2.0 or 3.0. Um, but then when it comes to marketing and communications and how to get it out there and actually start to attract and build communities, they're lost, (laughs) you know, and, you know, specific brands wanting to kind of dip their toes into this water, whether it be what pure play web three NFTs, DAOs, um, they're just, why do I need this? And how do, well, maybe I want to do it. Um, push me over the edge, rich and team, you know? Um, so it's a challenge every day. And, and one thing we always say is, you know, it's 50% building, 50% educating. <laughs> You're always educating up and across. So I was just saying like a big part of what we do right now is actually focus on education because, you know, we, we do have a lot of clients who come in, they want to do everything at once. They want to launch a token. They want to launch NFTs. They want to build a DAO, <laughs> they want to, you know, build a metaverse and start digital assets. And I'm like, okay, well, do you know your core customer? Like how will they behave? And then we get stuck, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't do it all at once. So yeah, no, I completely agree with you. A lot of education needs to happen right now before we start seeing full growth taking over. Yeah, for sure. I was going to, um, I was going to say on the esports angle, that's such a great point. It seems like really from the gaming side, that's where we're seeing the beginning of metaverse adoption. Um, What's your take on things like Decentraland where, you know, there's been some struggle to get adoption and, and it seems like once you lose that, that core gaming incentive, people are not really sure of the value of, of creating a world just yet. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I actually, okay, so funny enough, I, I put a post on LinkedIn about there was this article that came out that Decentraland I think has like 60 active users or so, and I can't remember the number right now. It was debunked. And right, it was somewhere in that vicinity. Crazy loud. It was something like that. And, you know, I didn't write the article, but, but the point, when I posted the article on LinkedIn, I made a point that these are topics that, as an industry, we do need to start addressing. You know, it, even though the number is, well, obviously fake, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the central land has more, and they have come out and said that they do have more users. People need to understand that the metaverse in itself, and again, this ties back to the discussion I started off with about spatial web and actually naming things, right? The metaverse in itself, you have a gamified world, which is what, in my perspective, the central end is and sandbox and Roblox, right? They are gamified worlds where you can go in, you do what you have to do, and then you can pop back out. And unless there's another incentivization or reason for you to re-enter, to go and explore or do something, 
it's kind of very limited, you know, like I would give you Candy Crush as an example, right? I play Candy Crush sometimes, but unless I'm really bored or I'm really stressed or I would just want to escape from something, I don't open the app, you know, it's kind of like a reward system. Um, going back to that, the metaverse in itself, for it to be built on always on layer of engagement and for it to really become the next internet, it needs to be infused between the physical and the digital and really interlaced and interconnected with how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis. Through wearables, again, you know, mentioning that, through QR codes, through AR, through VR, we build XR experiences. So you can actually enter Metapolis through web, AR, VR, if necessary. You know, it's very, we cannot expect everyone to be walking around with an Oculus Rift in their back pocket or a VR headset. Just as much as, you know, you cannot expect everyone to want to jump into the central land sandbox and Roblox. I think it was a very good testing ground for brands to get their feet wet and to kind of see how people would react. Is it something that will be an always on layer for them attached to their um, business model? I don't think so, only because of the way that the consumers or the clients behave in these worlds. So not at all talking badly about them, but just the way that they are built, they are more gamified than they are an always on layer. So that would be my perspective and take on it. Um, people just really need to start, I guess, addressing these terms, right? It's, it's okay sometimes to say to someone, it's okay to question beliefs, but it's okay to also have an open mind to accept another per person's perspective. And mm. a lot of people are so dedicated to what the metaverse is right now that any kind of fact or number or theory or anything that kind of questions it, they take it as a threat. Whereas we need to start being open to these discussions and not being threatened by them. You know, it's okay to say some world only have 60 users because then that means, okay, what have they done wrong? How can they make it better? Um, so that, that would be my, I hope I answered your question, but, uh, that would be my take on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the idea of an always on kind of an experience just illustrates the the amount of detail that goes into just the logic and the and the user flow and why people are using this uh, and what they potentially will use it for. And you're 100% right. Most people will dot in and dot out. So that brings me to believe that this is a really great platform for special events, um, perhaps training uh, for corporate uh, situations. Uh, it was phenomenal for that, actually. Um, but it does take a lot of time to just figure this stuff out, even just NFTs and, and the tokenomics of that, uh, you know, as an aside. Um, this world is uh, it's fairly complex uh, and, it, and it needs a lot of ironing, a lot of ironing out to begin with. But people do need to be open to taking different tactics to promoting themselves and their companies and marketing in general. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. No, I'll say, you know, they've done a great job in the industry. I mean, the, the first people who led with the metaverse, you know, when Meta changed their name, so when Facebook changed their name to Meta, and then you had the central end that was out there, you know, kind of like leading with the charge. Um, they established what the metaverse hype, I'm going to say hype because that's how, you know, people would, would see it. That was the hype that led people to start seeing the metaverse because back then it was all NFTs, 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 NFTs. And then suddenly it was like, no, 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 metaverse, metaverse, metaverse. Um, and somewhere in between there was DAOs, DAOs, DAOs. Um, you know, so I think that transition was really nice because now people are starting to realize that you have all of these technologies within Web3 and the best way to bring them all together is the metaverse. Can Decentraland be the house for that? 
Probably not, but again, it goes down just to the way that it's a gamified world, nothing more, nothing less. So, mm. yeah. Sorry, Matt, back to your question. No, it's all good. <laughs> I, I was just curious, you, something you said struck out to me, this idea that um, there's almost like this rage that we see when people discuss the metaverse, like, no, it's this or it's that, like in terms of defining it. Uh, why do you think that is? Is it just because it's something new? Because I'm thinking back to your LinkedIn post that you had today, and I think, didn't you have like a, you were mentioning like the introduction of email? I thought I saw like a little thing on email yeah. and people are just shocked by by that. And so is it is it just the newness factor, I think? Like we just resist change, I guess. See, I, I, don't, I don't think people resist change. I think it's more around, uh, now I have to think about how I'm gonna word this. <laughs> It's not so much about <laughs> the change. I think people are okay with change. It's just, you have different kinds of people, right? You have the people who are open to new beliefs and who sometimes like having their beliefs questioned and they're okay to share ideas and perspectives. You have people who kind of follow confirmation bias, which is, you know, um, perfect example would be crypto is bad because it's linked to money laundering, even though a lot of statistics have shown that crypto is not that linked to money laundering. Fiat can also be linked to money laundering and it has been for, you know, our whole lives, all of these people kind of trying to find where they belong within the space and really figure out what the metaverse or what Web3 in general, you know, could mean for them and the future that they envision and they want to see, you know, and the beauty about that is that it really just comes down to choice. You know, I have a lot of people who really sometimes question what I put out on, on LinkedIn as a post. And, you know, I, there is this one person that always just comes in with like, like I could say, you know, the sky is blue. And then I'd get a comment being like, no, it's not. It's actually <laughs> you know, a shade of, uh, I don't know, white with an overlay of, uh, I don't know, some color, but you know, this is what I'm saying. So a lot of people are sharing perspectives and opinions, but where we need to be as individuals is try to be open to a lot of the knowledge dump that's coming in on us right now and really just taking it on board to do our own research. Like, don't like something I say every time I'm on a panel or whenever I'm doing a talk or anything is listen to me, but don't take anything I say on board until you've actually done your own research, because this is my perspective and my point of view, you know, uh, and this is where I believe we're at right now. A lot of people have a lot of emotional feelings on how can their industry survive? How can they survive? Because we're now opening the creator economy with the metaverse, meaning that if you are a designer, you are now not waiting for someone to pick up your portfolio on Behance or Dribble and say, hey, come work for me. Or then you find your, you know, your, your image on a shirt that's getting sold without you knowing. No, now you are actually in control. You can put out NFTs. You can start creating assets for the metaverse that you earn a commission on or royalties for. People are trying to find their new position in this new world. And everyone just has an idea, which is perfect. But let's educate and share opinions, you know, you can never convince another person of your opinion by being so stuck on it. You know, that has never, ever worked. <laughs> if I am so set yeah. in way and trying to convince you of it, it's I'm not allowing you to share your perspective and I'm not opening my horizons to a new perspective. So that would yeah, be my Sandra, point. that, you know, that you're a hundred percent right. There is, and the way we kind of explain it a lot of times is there's a, like a chasm that people mentally need to jump, right? The, the regular world where everything is neatly packaged and we pick something off the shelf, we open it up, consume it, whatever it may be, information, products, whatever. Now it's, we are no longer the batteries. We are no longer 
the the product, if you will, in the social web uh, as it is in the social web, we are now partaking in the commu- uh, the creator community, as you were mentioning, and we're part of the product. And that might be basic contributions. Um, it may be um, donations or I'm a creator and I want to do the motion design for your for your live event. And we're, now we're collaborating. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting. We just wrapped up a, a podcast um, with uh, Jonathan Vizopoulos, who's the new CEO of Napster. And that kind of blew our minds in the sense that they're really taking the idea of a creator community and marrying it to the actual artists themselves so that it becomes this really wonderful and beautiful open architecture for extreme collaboration. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's great. I think people really have a challenge getting over that hurdle. It's like, no, you can trust this and you own it and you're part of the community. That has never been in, in people's um, you know, lens before. And now it is. And it, I think they're going to have a hard time getting over that hurdle. You know, I think a good example I can also give here would be, and this is one that I really enjoy. Uh, I don't know, in Australia, we call it the pay pass. I don't know what it's called in other countries, but it's the, you know, the credit card and you just have to pay. Um, I remember when they first came yeah. out, everyone was kind of like losing their mind. Like, oh, you know, they're going to steal all your money and don't walk close to a fridge or, you know, don't stand next to a magnet. Yeah, and NFT. Uh, I mean, uh, near field communication. Yeah, everyone, everyone yeah. just coming out with all these like theories, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, do you guys know how this actually works? You know, you can stand next to a magnet, it's, gonna, it's not sucking out your money from the card. You know, and now if you turn around, <laughs> if, if you look around with contactless payments, everyone just has that pay pass, uh, you know, the tap and pay on their on their card. Um, it took a while for people to get used to it, but we had to go through, you know, all the different perspectives, all the theories, all the kind of like the knowledge dump that had to come down and then people got used to it and it's not much different now, you know, and this is actually a time to really enjoy it because, you know, you're getting everything out of the way. People are talking to each other, they're collaborating, they're communicating. So yeah, let's, uh, let's look at it from an open perspective always. Yeah. 100%. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's because this is almost in a sense, it's a bit of a power structural change. Like, People, businesses who have had a certain way of doing business, when you start talking metaverse, when you start talking blockchain, you really have to rethink everything. You can't just take for granted the way you've done it. And, you know, like Rich and I were at the Solana store in New York City recently. We were paying for items using Solana, using, uh, you know, crypto. And it, it takes a bit of a, a shift. But once you see it, it makes sense. And I assume you probably see the same thing with Metopolis and with VR. Once you try it, you're like, okay, this is the future. You can see it's it's the next iteration of the internet. It's not a fad, but um, I guess I guess your challenge, I assume, is is figuring out that way to take. And I, I'm curious what that process is. When you take a business, you were mentioning it earlier, they want to get in on this, or they're curious, or they're worried about missing out. What are the first steps to kind of get them into this world? Like, what what's phase one of beginning to create? Say Web3 Impact is going to create a world. What's step one? What are we going to do? You know, I, I think the biggest thing to understand is that the status quo is changing. You know, uh, luxury is now being redefined in Web3 as well. You know, back then luxury, you know, you walk into Valentino, you walk into Louis Vuitton, you walk into Balenciaga. Uh, you were kind of, you could sense that luxury had a different meaning to what luxury kind of has now. Luxury now is more open. Some of them are dabbling in esports. Some of them are full in on blockchain, crypto, NFTs, and all that. 
you know, they're doing co-collaborations with artists within the NFT space. They're, uh, you know, con collaborating. I mean, I can't remember now who to brand is, but, you know, you have cross collaboration between Adidas and I think it was Gucci, if I'm mistaken, I can't remember 100% who the brand was, you know, Tiffany and CryptoPunks and all that. The status quo. In oh, we general, loved that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's one of our favorites. The CryptoPunks, <laughs> Tiffany's. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry, you know. Ahead. Now, it was, it was a good way to say that it was a good project for sure, you know, but the thing is, is that when a lot of brands are looking at Enter, you also, we always try to kind of, again, understand 100% what is their business model and are they okay with pushing what the status quo means to them? Are they okay with pushing their boundaries? Because it's very easy for me to come and say to a client, you have to do all of these things. But linking it is the hard part. We can all live in a fantasy, but how can you actually bring and add utility and value? That's the difficult part for them to understand, not from our perspective as a metabolist team. Because as a brand, you're already used to, you know, your, your community, you have your data, you have your research, you know your community, how they behave, how they operate. You are now open to a massive group of new, I don't know, generation, new people who have different behaviors, different spending um, habits, different ways of communicating and interacting. The hard part is never how can they come into the metaverse? It's how can they adapt it to their business model? You know, and I guess a good starting point for us always is we do the first phase, which is the ideation phase, which is where we sit down with them before the, um, obviously first is the discovery phase, but then we move on to the ideation phase, which is where we sit down with them and we start actually listing their business model and all the ideas and all the things that they can achieve within blockchain, within the metaverse. Because we are a metaverse company, it doesn't mean that we only focus on the metaverse. We incorporate DAOs, we incorporate NFTs, we incorporate, you know, um, digital assets, collaborations, the creator economy. Um, probably one very important one that I'm forgetting to mention, but it will probably come to me later. But, you know, we sit down and we go with them through everything. We ideate and then we say, this is how it can apply and this is what happens. If they're happy with that, then we move on off, 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 sorry, obviously into design and to all the things that happen with building a metaverse. But, you know, people need to kind of know about metapolises for us because we operate on a technology layer. We come from a, our team is, you know, very much into deep tech. We operate on a tech layer, which is we can provide you the support from that perspective, meaning that you won't face any issues with it being always on and how to integrate it seamlessly with any, um, any kind of operations that you're running in your back end or front end or anything as a business. But then you have your design layer, you have your strategy layer, you have your marketing layer and all of these things. We are a team of 108 people, you know, uh, so we are a very big company and we are looking at expanding way more and adding to our, to our, sorry, to our team. By end of the year, we are expected to be at around 160 people uh, with head offices in, we recently announced a head office in Dubai. Uh, we have a head office in Singapore, in London, in India, and we also have more expansion plans on that. So. As a team, we are very much equipped to support the brands. It's just really working with them on the discovery phase, the ideation phase, and how willing are they to push their business model? It always comes back to them at the end of the day. You know, they, they need to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, we 100% agree because these are the, the beginning discussions, right? And, and sometimes these worlds, whether it be Web3 or true metaverse type of experiences, may not be the right avenue for them. You know, it's not for everyone. And to your point, you really, and this is something that we always say outwardly to brands, not everyone has the stomach for it. You actually have to 
put yourself on the line, whether you're a small, medium, or large brand or product, you have to put yourself out there, put yourself on the line, and take a chance. And you may, much like a lot of these chains and protocols we've seen, you may fail in public. But that's okay. At least, you know, at least you're trying, you're dipping your toes in. Um, and as we mentioned before, it does become a little bit, you know, confusing and or complicated for, for certain brands. But you do need to, to try. You know, so yeah. Well, you said a good point. You know, not everyone needs on the metaverse. Actually, we've had a lot of instances where we have turned away clients because we have said to them very bluntly, "You're not ready for it. Your business model isn't ready for the metaverse." You know, at the end of the day, this is not a, a cash grab or a quick, you know, money earning scheme. This is something that you actually want to do and have it in your business model. It's it's kind of like when uh, people used to set up, you know, Instagram pages or Facebook back in the day or MySpace or whatever, and then just leave them there with one picture. You know, it's the, the metaverse cannot be <laughs> onto metaverse and then just have one tree standing up and a couch in the corner and then be like, why is no one coming in? You have to have a team <laughs> for it. You have to have a plan, a strategy, um, a vision. So we have had a lot of instances where we've said to, you know, potential clients that, you know, right now you're not ready. Um, neither is your business model. So let's keep in discussion and come back later. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. And, and that is, we've learned it from web one to web three, you know, just because like, Oh, we start a Twitter account, a Facebook account, all of our social and you put it out there and build it and they will come is just not real. It's not reality. There's what we call the care and feeding of your products, your digital products or social products, right? You need to treat them like products. It's funny, you mentioned even in metaverse, you need representatives there. If you're yeah. an always on type of brand or scenario, you need someone there greeting you, showing you, walking you through. It's like having a uh, an actual brick and mortar yeah. with no clerks, <laughs> you know? Um, you have to treat it that way. And when you're going through the ideation phase and, and certainly the discovery phase, you're probably, much like what we do, is you're pointing out, look, you, you're gonna have to augment your team. Your team is great for what they do now, but you're gonna need this skill set and this many people to actually keep this going successfully. Um, the other part of the whole brand experience for us is in, in my eyes, because I come from a branding background traditionally, and you have to, um, and I did brand and, and experience design for Nickelodeon for many years. Nice. And one of the things we did, you know, it was about taking the characters or the product, SpongeBob, Dora the Explorer, whoever it may be, and taking it from the TV screen and now extending it and adding edutainment or education on top of it. Um, and then creating these environments that people can dot into and dot out of, but you're actually extending the playtime and or the ex whole brand experience from there. Yeah. Um, so it is, it needs to be a richer extension uh, to it. And it, there, you know, right now, I think the idea of, you know, I, I loved your, uh, your whole thing on, you know, um, luxury brands, they have to kind of still keep up that exclusivity, right? So not everyone has the Gucci handbag. 
Um, and not everyone might not have the Gucci NFT, which opens up something different. And maybe it's an, an uh, you know, an, uh, 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 kind of a, a handbag in the, in the virtual world or, or something that you can take with you. Not everyone will have that. And it's, you know, it's flexing, right? Um, so that's a really interesting concept that we're very interested in as well. So Nickelodeon, that's interesting. Rugrats was on Nickelodeon, wasn't it? I think Rugrats was like a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, classic. It was a big one. That was a big one, yeah. But no, classic. I mean, I, it really was. Yeah, it used to keep me entertained for a long time. Um, I think a big part of, of the, the metaverse, right, and then this comes down to, again, the terms that we are using right now. A lot of the technology that we are using now, I've used it back in the day. I mean, when I was still in advertising, a lot of the things that we are doing now, we just didn't call them NFTs. We didn't call them blockchain. We didn't call it, uh, you know, the metaverse. But we still have the technology available. Probably not as advanced as it is now. But we, you know, we call it like a, I don't know, a digital activation, or uh, you know, something a, a digital something. Um, can't think of it right now. But now, as we've evolved, people are now starting to say, okay, I need to be at the forefront of this. And the good thing about where we are right now is that when COVID hit, it really sped up the amount of time that it would have taken people to be accepting of where we are right now with NFTs, the metaverse and crypto in general, because suddenly in like the blink of an eye, we were all online. Our whole life was changed. We were all locked indoors. We had nothing to do other than open our laptop and just talk to each other. You know, a lot of educational institutions weren't ready for it. You know, they, they just couldn't house all of their students online. We've now shifted very quickly our entire perspective from, okay, we, everything needs to be digital. And I think that really helped the speed at which Web3 in itself is evolving because everyone just pivoted. You know, you had some people who were still going uh, traditional digital, suddenly now they're going traditional Web3. But you can't skip that step because you still need to go digital <laughs> to be able to incorporate Web3 into it. So. Yeah, we have a lot of exciting chats with uh, with people online, so it's it's always nice when people reach out with their questions and stuff like that. Awesome! Yeah, it is. It is a right now. It is a bridge between using 2.0 as a gateway or an, you know interface or even a game platform that marries to a Web three component, or it might be financial or transactional. Um, but hundred percent, yeah, it's a combination of everything. Definitely. Which brands, uh, just curious, are coming to you most frequently right now? Which ones, are, uh, which are the best fit for Metopolis? Like what types of, not the specific companies necessarily, but like which industries? Uh, look, to be honest with you, and I think I said that before, we are open. Now we are, before we were really curating our list, but now um, because of some certain changes and optimization and team growth, uh, we are open to a lot more industries. So initially we started off with esports and the uh, retail and, you know, the art world in general, but now we're noticing again, like I said, if you were to ask me, we are open to cater to any industry, but the ones that I feel would be the best quick movers in the space would be health and wellness, uh, luxury and retail. Uh, government organizations, a lot of uh, government institutions are now looking at how they can incorporate the metaverse into their offerings um, and just connect with their users, sports and esports for sure. So I, I don't think I made that easy because I think I just named every industry there is, uh, you know, banking, <laughs> <laughs> so all, all of them. Well, all the applicant, yeah. 
when you when you wrap your head around it, it it, it the, the it opens Pandora's box for sure. Definitely esports because we talk to people who are building and managing uh, gaming uh, Web three gaming platforms and two gaming platforms, a la kind of Steam esque kind of experiences. And it's the great gateway. It's the gateway into you know gaming is the gateway into almost a lot you know tons yeah. of different applications. So that's where we always start. Gaming, gaming, gaming. It's always there. So, yeah. well, um, our- But the training aspect for governments could be exponentially uh, profound. Uh, medical, you know, uh, virtual tutorials and medical um, training is amazing. Actually, at, at Metapolis, we, HR plays a very big part as well. So HR um, resources and the client, not sorry, client, um, employee incentivization and all that. Everyone who gets onboarded as a team member in Metapolis goes through a metaverse uh, HR training, which is really interesting and exciting. Definitely worth applying for a position, which we have a couple open right now. <laughs> I am shilling because I do wow. want people to <laughs> apply and get the best. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. That's okay. We'll put you it know, out it, there. We it like is, to it, connect people, that's for sure. It is an interesting journey, but, you know, HR definitely plays a part. You know, it's always the small things that you think that wouldn't survive that actually need the metaverse the most. You know, medical education for me is one that I'm extremely passionate about, health and wellness, um, incentivization of employees, because you people have shifted from being at work from nine to five. We are always connected. You know, if someone asks me, what are your working hours? I probably would respond back with, what are my alive hours? Because I feel like I'm constantly... <laughs> working even though i am alive while working but you know like there's no in between there's no split if i'm not on my laptop i'm connected on my phone if i'm not on my phone i'm connected on my iWatch. if you know if my phone is far from me so we are always in this interconnectivity which is fine you know uh people as founders or as co-founders or as people who always need to be talking to clients and all that one thing I do want to highlight is that at the phase we're in, a lot of people are trying to do a lot and there is burnout happening in the industry. You know, I've met a lot of founders that I spoke to maybe a couple of months ago, speaking to them again now, they're burnt out because they've just tried to put in their all, trying to get everyone happy, trying to get all the products out there all at once and everything. The metaverse in a sense can assist in how your employees interact and connect with each other. Slack does a very good job at that, but Slack is very much static, right? I send you a message, you send me a message and that's it. We I need to sit there waiting for you to type or you huddle me and then I get shocked at the noise and then I'm like, okay. So, you know, with the metaverse, it can actually become more of a a gamified approach to completing tasks, to belonging to that world. If anyone is interested in what could actually happen, there is a video on my LinkedIn where I share like a day in the life of an avatar. Uh, That, I guess, would give the best insight into what it could be like in the future where you are connected to your avatar and how that could be, you know. And one of the video cuts, you see a yoga session. Now, obviously I'm not sitting on the couch and my avatar is doing yoga. That's not what's happening. But the idea is that I'm out doing yoga. My wearable is connected and I'm being rewarded and incentivized for the calories burned, for the heart rate, for whatever it is, whoever, whichever app I'm connected to allows. You are pushing people to become better versions of themselves. Not that I'm saying there aren't any downfalls to it. Everything in life has a downfall. You, know, you can take Panadol and you can find out you're allergic to Panadol. Everything has a side effect somehow. But the more we start to work through how we can connect the physical and the digital, the more it becomes easier for us to point where industries can grow, where industries need to be innovated more, and where there could be pitfalls or downfalls for us to pay attention to. Uh, 
I do sometimes go off on a tangent, so I don't know if anyone even asked me no. a question right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I think I we think all do. That's what this is about, um, free, free form, uh, you know, discussions. And, you know, also, the, you know, there, we, we often get caught up in the, the, the software, right, the 3D rendered world. Um, but there's also, you know, the hardware still needs to kind of come, you know, elevate as well meaning the headsets need to be untethered, which is totally happening now, obviously. Um, they need to become smaller, lightweight, more powerful, higher resolution. You know, there's a lot of challenges in the hardware space as well, so. Yeah, well, we don't live in Utopia, you know, and that's one thing, which is with Metapolis, when we put out the three versions of the avatar, all of our tech is optimized. So we understand not everyone has the same technology. Not everyone has the same internet. I mean, when we first started this podcast, the first thing I said to you is my internet's pretty dodgy, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> schedule. Uh, but we've taken all of this into account. This is why for on our platform and why I'm saying it's really important for brands to get in contact with another shill, Meta Metapolis for a metaverse as a service <laughs> platform is because we have standardized this approach. So if you have good internet and I have bad internet, my version of the metaverse and the experience would be uh, optimized to what I can tolerate compared to what you can tolerate, but we can still be seeing the same experience and interacting with yeah. it. So this is the kind of technology that needs to go out there. When we talk about standards and tech and all, uh, you know, latency, bandwidth, um, headsets, hardware for computers, just everything, we will never all have the same kind of technology ever. And that's something that we need to accept you know, and something we need to build for in the future to make sure that everyone has a fair and equal go when it comes to experiencing these engagement opportunities that are going to be put out there. Yeah, I love that. Um, the idea of, you know, throttling the experience a little bit, but not cutting it off completely. That's, that's fantastic. And, and absolutely, I, we love the idea of, of, standardizing you know we're we're all cut from like a creative and, and design background here um and we thrive and survive on standards right and guidelines uh to help us kind of create systems that work beyond uh the client engagement now i have to do this because you cannot have a conversation these days without mentioning and we they've bubbled up in this conversation meta Facebook's meta, right? You can answer this however you want, um, but we would be interested in your opinion on what meta is doing right and perhaps what they're not getting right. You know, this is probably the most question I get asked before it used to be like, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, when you're around family and people that know you, they're like, when are you getting married? Now it's like, what are your views on meta? <laughs> Which is a nice transition. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the, I'm your annoying uh, uncle now, right? <laughs> you know, so look, I think answering that question is a bit, it's, it's not difficult because, you know, when I first, I think one of the first points I made is that the big companies right now that are looking at changing or having a play, a hand in the metaverse, they are companies that are built on acquiring companies that are very good at what they do. You know, they come from a background of being very Web2 focused and knowing how that operates and acquiring very good products to make their bigger product better. Do I think Meta is doing something wrong or Meta is doing something right? I do not know what their broader vision is, but from my perspective, 
I do not believe that they will be the ones who will set the standard for what the metaverse will become. I do feel like they will have some issues and setbacks, which is what people are already, you know, finding out. You know, I think I read on the news this morning or I saw an article about, you know, they've burned through so much cash that now investors are even questioning, like, what are you guys doing? Uh, you know, and even I think it was mentioned that now their avatars are going to have legs. Well, I mean, it's granted that the avatars will have legs, right? Unless we're playing a week. Uh, you know, and there were like a couple of like kind of, I don't know, just like a couple of articles and a couple of things that have happened. Meta is doing very good at getting the mass interested in the metaverse. Would it be beneficial for them? I'm not 100% in a position to say what their broader vision is. I know that when I've heard it, it hasn't resonated with me personally and what my vision is for the metaverse. But that doesn't mean it doesn't sit well with other people. So I'm probably giving mm. you like a very neutral answer right now, but unless I'm deep into their strategy, I cannot 100% say what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. I do believe, though, that they will not be the big player in, in the space. They will find it hard and they should probably focus on a niche. You know, if they want to really go ahead and just make VR their thing, then, you know, may just focus on VR and don't worry about avatars or about building worlds or about, you know, creator economy and all of these things. Just focus on what you want to do and actually take ownership of it. The big thing about Meta is that they can afford to make mistakes. Smaller teams and smaller projects cannot afford to make mistakes. You know, for us, yeah. if our product line is not sought out, sought out, sorry, to the T, and if we are not on top of it, it could set us back because that means that, you know, we have to go back, relook at our strategy. We might need to pivot. When you are a big company and you have that big of a team and you have that much funding, it's easy for you to pivot your vision because you can very easily equip a team of some of the best people to come and support you. But again, Facebook or sorry, Meta, sorry, old habits die hard. Meta is a very good <laughs> at acquiring teams and projects or products that are successful in this space that might not work for them. And it definitely won't. So yeah, I, I don't think they'll be the big player, but I, I think we, you know, <laughs> what, I'm sorry. what was that? I said, but they're good for getting people interested in the metaverse and, you know, getting them interested in mass adoption. So it works out. I, yeah, we would 100% agree with you. There is no magic, you know, crystal ball to kind of understand what their Uber, you know, macro strategy is for the metaverse. Um, and they they are great at acquiring companies. They are great, you know, look what they did with Oculus. But they are burning, you know, within the past year, $80 billion. Um, th that, that, that gives you the runway to experiment, have multiple teams experimenting at once, whereas smaller companies really need to be dialed in with their purpose and strategy day one and follow through on it and not deviate. They have to really stay the course be super lean and mean. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, but personally, m my perspective on this for anyone, not just Meta, is you can't. You have to throw away the idea or abandon the idea of creating one world, and it's in a box. And you go in, you pay admission, you play, you leave. That's not. That's not the metaverse to us, right? Um, it can't be boxed in, and you have to give people 
the freedom to build within it. So the idea of developer communities, creator communities, actually, you know, it's uh, the cathedral and the bazaar, you know? Um, you know, you have to be the bazaar, not the cathedral, yeah. right? Yeah. Apple's the cathedral and, you know, open source is the bazaar. You have to let people play and contribute to your world as well. So it's hard to tell, but we have some, we're starting to develop some core fundamental pillars on what we kind of think will make a good company or make a company that will progress in this space well. I think one of the keys also is, and it's true with Meta, is to see how much that interoperability, none of us can say the word, uh, will end up working. And in terms of avatars, can you enter their space seamlessly or not? And that may be a defining factor. From what I understand, they're, they're talking about wanting to have an open standard, but I guess like none of us really know for sure what that may or may not look like. But uh, Sandra, I'm just curious to ask you, because this is such a big topic, and this could be a whole episode to unpack by itself. Um, <laughs> the idea of our digital identities and our real identities and our avatars. What are some of the key components of that? How much of like real Matt should be the same as digital Matt? How much of real Rich should be the same? How much should we change? Say I'm, I'm venturing into a social environment or a work environment, you know, with gaming, you switch it up, but should we just become one digital self and just have that be consistent across all platforms, all experiences? You know, I think, uh, I know I probably keep dropping that, but, you know, I also got asked a really interesting question, which is uh, on LinkedIn on one of my posts on digital identities, which is at what point will our digital identity replace our physical one? And for me, that was a very interesting question because, you know, at no point do I believe that the digital will replace the physical. And at no point should we be looking at the digital replacing the physical. In a sense, for us, it should always be how can we make these two work together? You know, just because I have an email doesn't mean I'm now a walking email, right? Even though that's mm -hmm. how people connect and engage with me um, in, in Web2. Or just because I have a handle, you know, a Telegram or an Instagram or a Twitter account, these things never replace me. When we look at digital identities, the only thing, not the only thing, but, you know, a big shift is going to be in the assets that we acquire. Because now you are able to accumulate assets for your digital identity that might not be physical. You know, you could have bought a crypto fund that is now worth, I don't know, 1.2 million. But in your physical self, you probably only have, like, I don't know, a car and a house. You know what I mean? So these assets that you have and you acquire, they might change depending on your uh, digital or your physical identity. You still own both, you know, all the three of them, obviously. But... Again, these assets and their, their value will depend based on how we see the future being built. Now, when it comes to digital identity, there's this misconception that, you know, um, decentralization and everyone talks about decentralization and how it's so important to Web3 and to blockchain. For you to have a metaverse that is built to be an always on layer of engagement that has onboarded the masses and a lot of industries into it, there needs to be a level of KYC or a level of centralization attached to connecting the physical and the digital, because this links you to incentivization, to rewards, to being able to complete certain tasks, let's say with government entities, without having to leave your physical location, but maybe sending an avatar to do it. You know, perfect example, if I want to redo my driver's license and I'm not in Australia, I could just maybe through KYC, send myself over to, you know, take a new picture, open camera, get KYC, 
completed or even maybe just pay a parking ticket and all of these things. We shouldn't look at it as a replacement, but rather an added value to how we live our physical life. Now, when it comes to actual identity, you can personalize and customize anything you want. I mean, it, it's kind of like being in the real self, right? I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of haircuts growing up as a child up to how you are now. I know I have, you know, people change their hair color. They change their have fashion. a bowl cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Watching I was, Rugrats. Yeah. I once like a cabbage patch kid. I accidentally cut my hair too short and I actually have curly hair. So it curled up and I had like Princess Leia kind of like earmuffs around. Oh, that's cool. Oh, uh, we need to see some old photos of that. No one ever hit the open. <laughs> those don't hit the those don't go into public. It's a fascinating discussion. The idea of what is your identity, right? Because the way I'm thinking of it is, and you know, when you're pressed to think about this more, and you examine the way you actually use different platforms, like Twitter's maybe for business or whatever. Instagram, I know personally, I've curated it for music, art, and, you know, recreational stuff that I like. It's very tailored, oh, very little family interactions there. Facebook is for connecting with, you know, your aunt and, you know, grandma, you know, whatever you're doing on it. Um, you know, so you actually do have different personas, right? And different oh, avatars are personas when you enter these things and your handle could be different, your, um, your, uh, favicon could be different, your, your whatever, it could be totally different based on wherever you're going. So that's nothing new. I think the real profound idea around identity and identity management will come with the idea of, uh, through web three utilizing you know, setting preferences for your advertising uh, and data uh, preferences, uh, you know, and, and the, what you give out and what you pull in will be really up to you. And you'll you know, have more ownership over that. So that's a huge thing. Do you give away your real name? Do you give away X data um, or uh, activities that you're involved in or your schedule? Who knows? You know, um, it's that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, identity in general is, to me personally, a very interesting topic. Um, maybe it's the psychology background that I have with for marketing and advertising, but identity in itself, if we had to break it down right now, that would be an entire other podcast that we have to jump on <laughs> and make oh, it. Oh yeah. Hours. You know, because as humans ourselves, our identity does change as we are growing up. You know, I mean, look at my LinkedIn profile and maybe look at my Instagram. Um, you'd be like, "Who? this is not the same person. You know, it's people change. You know, your WhatsApp picture could be different to who you to your, you know, um, Google image that you have for your email to your image on LinkedIn again to all of these things. You know, as humans, we are used to being represented through imagery and through identities that we built depending whether you want to be professional, you want to be fun, you want to be family oriented, you know, uh, you want to showcase that you're, I don't know, good at a certain niche or whatever it is. As humans, we are always changing our identity and evolving and we should be because that's how we grow, we evolve and we find ourselves, you know, and it's going to be the same. This is always interesting because again, it would require a completely other podcast, like another session, but the avatar yeah. should not be seen as a direct representation of who you are. You are free to actually create. Okay, I'm going to take a step back. I remember when Second Life came out. Uh, I was one of the first. Oh, people yeah. 
fun with it Perfect. and you know have fun with it but i was a in second life i think i was a doctor um i don't remember correctly and i think you know completely different like it wasn't me um but you know that was the whole purpose of it it was a second life for you to actually want to do something that you couldn't do i've always wanted to be a doctor but I just, I don't like blood. I don't like the sight of blood and I'm not, <laughs> and I, I just cannot be in that position. So I, being a doctor is not for me, but it's something I always wanted to do. Uh, so when it came to second life, you know, my identity was that, you know, I was a doctor. I think I put like a white coat on and all of these things. So that didn't really impact, that didn't impact me as Sandra. It didn't change who I am in the real world, but it was just a fun getaway for me. It was a gamified experience to get on there, just kind of like walking around, talking to people and all of these things. Was I being honest about the identity? No, but who online up until now, up until we've actually had to start thinking about your identity being connected to your physical. I don't think a lot of people are actually, have actually in a sense thought about what that identity means. You know, like even with picking a username, you know, my username on, on, on Reddit, does not correlate to probably my username on, on Twitter, you know, or, or, or any other platforms. People are always changing who they are. With the avatar, if you are looking for an always on layer, your avatar is going to become kind of similar to your, let's say, appearance. Now, of course, when I say appearance, I'm not talking about style. You can always update your avatar's hair, the clothes they're wearing, all of these things. This is just part of the creator economy and purchasing assets digital assets and all of that. But when it comes to who you want to be operating on the other end of the screen when interacting with people, that becomes a choice. Do you want to keep your real name? Do you want to use a false name? Whatever you decide to do, there will be a platform for you to do that. For us, however, with Metapolis, we do require a level of KYC because we have taken on board issues such as harassment, bullying, grooming, um, yeah. some of the other things that might arise that could deter people from being in a safe and secure environment. So for example, if my avatar is going to be named Sandra H in Metapolis, any environment or any metaverse, right? It's up to me because I'm KYC, how I behave is then up to me. You get what I'm saying? So I, I hope I'm making yeah. it clear because at the end of the day, if there's a level of KYC, you are the person choosing how you want to behave. There does need to be an element of KYC, and I've, I am a very firm believer in that because people need to belong to a safe and secure environment for it to be an always-on layer, you know. And these are things that we need to think about and start preparing for because, yes, there will be metaverses that are going to be gamified where you can pop in with any identity, do whatever you want, and then kind of like pop out again and leave. Uh, they'll always be there, but again, it, it is a matter of, of choice. Right. It's, it always comes down to a person's own choice on how they want to behave, what they want to interact with and what they want the identity to resemble and, and look like. It's almost like an expansion of like the verified Twitter account on steroids concept, right? Like people, <laughs> we, we need to know kind of who you are, right? Well, Habbo think, uh... did a pretty good job at that. You know, like everyone, I think everyone I know played Habbo Hotel or Merck, M-I-R-C. I call it Merck. I don't know what everyone else calls it. Uh, IRC, you know, back in the day, you know, you'd come in and you'd try to find all your friends and everyone was like off in a different little group and you try to find each other and have these chats. But no one was actually, I mean, the chances of people being themselves 100% online are very minimal unless it's verified and actually they're held accountable <laughs> or it has a direct link to, you know, their LinkedIn business profile or something like that. So it really yeah. does vary. You have people lying on your on their resumes all the time. What's to say that people aren't going to be doing the same thing and behind their avatar? 
the avatar honestly oh. <laughs> sorry keep going keep going no i just want to say you know so i think it, it, this isn't a matter of technology being the one that decides it's up to the individual it's up to the vision of the platform you're interacting with you know at the end of the day an avatar is an nft it's a character that you give it life it's kind of like being in the sims you know dude I think I used to burn my kitchen down like six times in one game just because it used to be fun. And I like, you know, but Blow things up. around yeah. kitchens, you know what I mean? It's end of the day, it is up yeah. to the person and how they want to be seen through, through this avatar and they will always find a platform, but KYC is important for building safe and secure environments for sure. Mm, yeah. And you know, to your point with this could go expand into multiple sessions, right? But the idea of offering freedom, right? And to me, Web3 is the ultimate digital freedom. When you offer that, that comes with a lot of responsibility, personal responsibility. So now a lot of that responsibility is perhaps taken off of a brand or a product side and put more on onus on the actual end consumer side, um, which is great. But some people, again, there's a mind shift of people having to understand that. And I think, uh, you know, it, it can't be the wild, to your point, it can't be the wild west. It, there it needs to be governance models put in place. Um, I, so some governance is great. You know, I'm all about, you know, downsizing the organizations uh, and letting people have more autonomy and freedom. But with that freedom comes greater responsibility for sure. I guess I have a question for you both. And that's, you know, do you believe that as individuals right now, are we capable of self-handling our own data and our own, I guess, identities without some rules and regulations in place that kind of monitor that? Matt, you want to go? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very great a loaded question in a lot of ways. It has a lot of implications. I think it's impossible whether we want to or not to escape all regulatory concerns. I think that's, there's going to be some kind of uh, boundaries in the future. And, and I think the key, my only concern is who gets to write those regulations and making sure that as we're building, yeah, you know, we have regulations on the internet. We have regulations with any new technologies and innovations. As we enter into the metaverse, as we enter into Web3 and digital ownership, we, we need to make sure that everyone has a say as we build those uh, regulatory boundaries and that it's not just a few corporations writing advantageous rules for themselves that uh, disrupt our own our own freedoms, our own privacy, our own, uh, you know, ability to, to live in the world. Because the digital world, and I think you talk about this a lot too, the real world and the digital world, they're completely converging. There's no distinction. If, if you've ruined your digital life, you basically <laughs> ruined your real life. And if you're thriving digitally, then you're probably thriving in the real world. So it comes down to almost like bill of rights level importance that we figure out how to get the legalities right. That's that's the way I see it. That's a very, very, it's a big topic. It's take, it takes it's a lot a, to figure out the right answers to that. It's a topic because, you know, yeah. these are kind of like uncharted waters right now. Everyone's trying to, you know, terms and conditions, platform conditions, you know, terms of use and all of these things, but are they going to be enough? Terms of conditions, terms of use, they yeah. are not enough to build a safe and secure world. Having people, and you know, this is a point that I also think is important that you said, and one that I usually make as well, which is who is going to be writing these rules and regulations? Who can be trusted to write these rules and regulations? And in a sense, do these rules and regulations need to be written by a higher entity or a higher 
government or a higher, whatever it is. If so, who's writing it? What's the vision? What's the mission? It does need to be a collaborative effort at the end of the day, which is why I go back to the centralization of it. A lot of people now are in control of their communities, of their niche, of their products. It will require a lot of people working together and collaborating to set that standard forward. And, you know, not everyone will get it right. There will be a lot of back and forth, back and forth, but there is a lot of dependency or there should be a lot of weight on the on the platforms that you're using for them to be honest upfront and forward with you on what you are getting yourself into. You know, how are you handling your data? What does KYC mean? Why is KYC important? What does the digital identity mean to yours? So as individuals, the good thing about that is we can pick and choose. And that's a choice that we always have as, as yeah. humans. You, know, you pick where you want to go. You can choose what environment to interact in. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I don't think there is an easy, there is no real straightforward answer to that, to the to the question, obviously. But I think, you know, people are different. Like, you know, uh, you know, I don't like paying bills, so it's all automated. So the idea of automation is going to be a big deal, and that's going to make your life easier, right? So that's taking some tasks out of your way but you did make a choice to not to kind of opt out and just have it pay your bills or whatever it is. Um, I, I think certain people, certain personalities will gravitate towards more control and some will gravitate towards less control, meaning I need, I need, I need guardrails, right? I need to bounce off the walls and you need to help me do that. I, I, the reason why I'm personally fascinated with DAOs, the idea of DAOs, and I think this is an experiment, a giant social experiment that we're going to see played out through DAOs, um, small, medium, and large communities coming together and actually self-governing. Easier said than done, right? Um, we're going through it now. How do you set up the rules? How much rights does each person get? What are the tiers to the organization? You know, is it set up like a government where there are certain tiers or the military where one, you know, rolls up to another? Um, we don't know yet, you know, and we're, we're experimenting with it and it could, could totally blow up. But I think the idea of being, having more controls uh, will be very interesting for many, many users uh, down the road, meaning control over your data, control over your persona, per control over your visuals. That's interesting. How much you slide that little slider up and down to max versus minimum is, is probably going to be up to you. Um, and, you know, maybe you're, you're a camper and you let the community kind of make decisions. It's like government. Some people vote, some people don't. If you don't vote, you're actually, you know, throwing away your a, a little slice of your voice uh, in, in the garbage. Um, you know, everyone should vote, but some people just camp out. You know, they don't really want to make decisions. They just want to partake, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be a sliding scale. Don't forget that, you know, even if you just look at NFTs, every country, even blockchain in general, every country has its own approach now to accepting NFTs, what NFT rules and regulations are, um, what crypto yeah. means to each country as well. So when you look at setting all of these rules and regulations, 
the chances of getting everyone on the same page are going to be very minimal, <laughs> having everyone agree on what that means. So you also cannot, it would come down to the platform that you are using to set these standards for you, because at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, if you need to get a, a document, let's say, right, or I think you set a bill of rights by every single country to agree on for what it means to belong in the metaverse and what the identity means, that would take so long <laughs> that I yeah, think it's a pretty big undertaking. And yeah. So, you know, we, we do need yeah. to at, at it, a lot of it does come down to the platform that you choose to use and what that team and their vision is going to be for you, at least right now, because if rules and regulations are always hard to, you know, you need to have precedence, you need to have things that legal, legalities can look back on and say, okay, this is why this happened. This is why we have to do that. And are you okay with it? And blah, 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 so on and so forth. So digital identity in itself. And I think there was an issue with, was it Bruce Willis? I think who sold his AI and then and now Hollywood oh, yeah. question, what does that mean for acting and how much should he actually get paid and who actually owns him and, you know, all of these things. So <laughs> we're starting to see factor. <laughs> so you know we're we're starting to see all of these things now start being spoken about but in the future if everyone is selling their ai you know facial recognition then in a sense that also pushes the status quo of what it means to be a human being and what it means to show up to work and what it means to be an actor and what it means to be you know on a tv show and what it means to be all of these things not that I'm separating actors from being in a TV show. That was a mistake. But... <laughs> That's two separate things. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it does raise these questions. So there's a lot of things happening right now. And we always just need to understand that it's good to have these discussions. But right now where we're at, the platform that you choose to engage with is going to be the one that sets the rules and regulations and the terms of use and conditions on what it means to have an identity and what it means to operate freely with other people and being I.O. So, yeah, you know, Sandra, we we often we talk with a lot of protocols, right? And some of them are the CEOs, product managers, uh, you know, and especially developers. Personally, I'm fascinated with the developer community in Web3 because some of these protocols um, to, to the Uber question of, you know, governance versus, you know, what you can do and, and decision making within communities they've set up guardrails where anyone can tr contribute to multiple projects. Uh, you know, you, you submit your code. The code is validated by a smaller team. It's validated and you're, you're scored and it's almost gamified. And the more you submit and the higher your scores, the higher you bump up the ranking. And that may kind of drive how much you earn. And people are just over the moon over this because it's set in stone. They understand they can just work. The economics are figured out. They're paid in crypto and everything is pretty peaceful um, because they've actually contributed to the system that they're actually using. And it, it's, it's fascinating. So I think a lot of these kind of theories and ideas and, and kind of, uh, social experiments will actually be worked out partially through the developer community. It's fascinating. 
Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, they are leading the charge with a lot of things and they are bringing to light a lot of the topics that we've discussed in today's, you know, session as well. Developers definitely play a very big role in, in how this is all going to pan out because again, this is not, this is more of a digital approach to linking digital to physical, you know, and I don't think, I don't think as of now, I mean, sorry, as of yet, there has been a massive surge in people being disinterested in connecting and bridging the gap between the two. Um, unless I'm mistaken, but I don't think I am. Um, there really hasn't been that much interest in what it could mean to have a connected physical and digital identity and what it means to always be connected. You know, how does that happen? What does it mean? You know, we use GPS, you know, we use GPS on our day to day. We use, you know, our, our social media platforms. We are connected through our iWatches, our iPhones and all of these things, but we are still able to turn off our phones and disconnect in the future. You know, if I turn off my phone, does that mean my avatar is active? <laughs> if I shut my laptop, right. is my avatar always going to be on? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting time, uh, time and space for sure. And I yeah. think a lot of discussions um, and a lot of knowledge share. If you're, uh, yeah, if your avatar, sorry, your, if your avatar has AI built into it, it could be getting in trouble while you're sleeping. <laughs> well, the interesting thing that we actually have at Metapolis is that if let's say, um, uh, should I drop some insight or not? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. If, if, if there's multiple events happening online, we actually have technology where you can, well, we have the means, I won't go into a lot of detail, but we have the means where you can attend all of these events in separate rooms and still kind of tailor that experience and get the same feedback as you being there. You know, and there's been a wow. couple of times where you know, I kind of wanted to go to an event, but at the same time, there was another event. You obviously, you know, I cannot be in two places at once, but now we have, you know, we have the means of being able to provide that service to people, uh, which is pretty interesting. That's we're talking to the real Sandra. This isn't an avatar, right? Yes. <laughs> is this a hologram? <laughs> She's doing two podcasts at once, Matt. Yeah. Multiple podcasts at the same time. That's awesome. That, that is that's amazing. Kind of yeah. Really, really interesting. That And that opens up a whole other Pandora's box, you know? Yeah, it really does. Does. It's, and it's all very interesting, you know, because that's, you're changing the way that you receive and engage with news and interact with personalization. You know, personalization up until now has been very much uh, one-sided. You know, you can personalize your content how you want it to be, but now you can push these limits a bit more. You can tailor your experiences yeah. depending on a digital version to a physical version, which is really interesting from my perspective, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So as we sort of wrap up, we and we really appreciate your time with us today. Uh, for people who are kind of new and looking at getting into this space, what are the key takeaways you would give them if you could just give them one or two? And then where can we learn more about Metopolis? How can people get started and with Web3 and with the metaverse in general? I mean, obviously, I would direct them to, you know, our website, which is metopolis.studio. Um, it is currently going through an upgrade. So uh, be aware of the amazingness that's going to come be launched in the next couple of days. Uh, I would also say, you know, getting in contact 
through, um, well, you know, I would be a good point of contact to have a discussion with if you're looking at entering with a metabolist perspective or even just finding out more about the space. Any brand or any interested person as an individual looking at how they can belong to the metaverse, there's always a lot of information out there. Just find key, you know, thought leaders, key people in the space who are innovating and building and just follow them and start to gather all of this information. Um, and I think, yeah, these, these are some pretty good starting points. It's, it's always down to, you know, what your end goal is. Well, fantastic. Um, Sandra, thank you so much and for joining us and sharing your whole new, you know, this whole world and introducing, you know, your products and services and, and your worlds to, to our audiences. So we thank you so much. And we certainly definitely have to have uh, more conversations with you in the, in the near future, for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. you.